This episode of the Alley on the Run show is brought to you by Aftershocks. Go to ontherun.aftershocks.com to save 15% on all wireless headphones. Welcome to the Alley on the Run show. I'm your host, Allie Feller, and every week I talk with inspiring people who lead interesting lives on the run and beyond. And while running is the thing that brings us all together, on these episodes, we cover more than just what happens on the run. We learn the whys behind the runs, the decisions people have made to get where they are today, and how getting sweaty has factored in. I am very excited today to welcome returning favorite Starla Garcia back to the Alley on the Run show. Starla was a guest on episode 200 of the show, where we talked about how she had just qualified for the Olympic marathon trials at the Houston Marathon. It was very exciting. I was thrilled to celebrate her. And she then went on to run the trials in Atlanta in February. We even got to meet in real life down there, literally bumped into each other at the Omni Hotel and gave each other a big, big hug. And oh, now I'm reminiscing about the good old days of races and hugs and they'll be back. So... Starla is so loved in the running community, in part because she's so inspiring and fast and strong and she works so hard, but also just because she's really real. I usually hate that phrase, keeping it real or like hashtag real talk, but that's just who Starla is authentically and I love her for it. Today, she is here to answer your questions. Starla is a registered dietitian, and the first time she was on the show, we had planned to do a whole segment on listener Q&A. We had sourced something like 200 or 300 questions from Instagram stories, and we ended up talking for so long that we were like, we'll revisit that Q&A portion of the conversation later. And today, we're revisiting. So please join me in welcoming registered dietitian and Olympic marathon trials runner Starla Garcia back to the Alley on the Run show to talk about everything from intermittent fasting, keto and macros, to protein, long run hunger, and so much more. All right, Starla, I'm so, so, so excited to have you here. Welcome back to the Alley on the Run show. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me on today, Ali. I'm really excited. All right, so today's episode is a little different from last time. Now that we know you so well, we know your story, we're super fans of yours. Today, we're letting you dive into all of your expertise. We're doing a very special listener Q&A episode a couple, gosh, now it was like a couple months ago when we recorded for the first time together, I put out on Instagram stories saying, Starla is coming on. She is a registered dietitian. What are your questions with her? No surprise. I think we got about 300 questions. So we're going to go through some of them today. Before we do that, let's give everyone a refresher. Can you tell everyone who you are, where you're from, and what it is that you do? Yes. So my name is Starla Garcia and I am a registered dietitian and marathoner living in Houston, Texas. And I am the founder of The Healthy Shine, which is a sports nutrition coaching consulting firm or practice, I should say. All right. So with these Q&A episodes where we are talking to experts, I always like to give you a second to give everyone whatever disclaimer you think is appropriate as we're going through these questions, which again, People we don't know submitted these anonymously in without a lot of context behind them. So as you're answering these, is there anything that you want people to keep in mind as you're giving advice and answering questions? 
I normally do encourage that each person is different. So we always want to make sure that we also have um, biomarkers or also, you know, checkoffs from your provider. So if you feel like maybe something is wrong and there's something that you need a little bit more information on, it's always good to just get some lab work done or also go to your provider. And then also some of the things that we may talk about would be around like emotional mental health. And so I always encourage also seeking out um, a therapist if you are in need, Especially at this time, you want to make sure that you're covered. Okay. So before we get into the specific questions, I wanted to point out of, I, and I went through and I read every single question. By far, there were six words or phrases that came up time and time and time again. I want to read them and I want to know if you're surprised by these. So the six most popular questions and phrases were intermittent fasting, keto, macros, protein, supplements, and sugar addiction. Hearing those six things, is that surprising to you? Definitely not surprising. Um, When I work with a lot of clients, they typically have some of those questions or maybe not immediately when we start working, but they'll pop up slowly through our sessions together. All right. So let's get into each one of those a little bit. A lot of questions about intermittent fasting. Can you explain what intermittent fasting is and what should people know about it? So intermittent fasting, what that is, it's a it puts a period of time where you are allowed to eat. So it's not necessarily providing like how to eat or what is the best way to eat. It's mostly telling someone how like the window of time that they are allowed to eat and when they should or should not eat. So there's several ways to do intermittent fasting, and that would be a 16-hour fast um, or um Again, having a window of eight hours, so from 12 to 8 p.m., 10 to 6, things like that. Um, and then there's also like what they call a 5-2 rule, which is five days of normal eating and then two days of very, very low calorie consumption. So normally what I encourage is whenever runners are having questions about this, um, the way that it would affect a runner would be like if you have a morning run, you can't really recover or replenish or again eat something until maybe noon or whenever your fast is broken so that could leave a runner feeling sluggish um, heavy maybe not energized for the next day Um, and then typically what i find in a lot of runners is that they'll have a lot of sugar cravings later on in the day too because they haven't eaten enough the first half of the day after their run. It could also like limit amount of snacking or calories for somebody or even the amount of nutrients that they need to help them run their best. If somebody is a PM runner or like an evening runner, that's also gonna maybe push their run back further in the night because they maybe need to eat dinner by a certain time or they're cutting their run short so that way they can make sure that um, they have, uh, they're eating within the time window. So it's just like a lot of time constraints um, and issues that I find with people around intermittent fasting. So I'll be honest, and I, I know all about it. I've read all mm-hmm. about it. I've, I've Googled it plenty and talked to people. But to me, intermittent fasting just seems like skipping breakfast or cutting out a meal in an attempt to lose weight, mm-hmm. diet, you know, sort of uh, disguised as a phrase that we're using to talk about what the potential health benefits might be. Uh, is that, am I accurate? Do the health benefits outweigh what, I don't know. I guess I hear it and I'm like, okay, so you're basically just skipping breakfast to try to lose weight. 
So what does happen is because there is a period where you are allowed to eat um, or where you can't eat, it does um, provide some calorie deficit for people. And so if somebody's doing it for weight loss benefits um, or for weight loss with their running, um, they are going to be in a calorie deficit. But you can also be in a calorie deficit as well. Um, having normal meal times. And this is just also just science, right? This is not like what I am, you know, from my own, um, you know, just like from my own preferences or like the way I counsel people. But again, if somebody is wanting to lose weight, the most steady and widely accepted way to do it is would be in a calorie deficit. Um, And the way that runners struggle with that is because we need energy, we need calories to run our best. And so when people cut out breakfast, because of the fasting from intermittent fasting, they do see a reduction in weight, but then they always plateau. Okay. Mm -hmm. What about with keto or these other keto? I feel like is such a big one now, but look, the, um, the fads and the trends of any type of low carb or no carb diets Mm -hmm. is nothing new. They've been huge since probably the nineties when Atkins was so big. Do you see a lot of runners who follow a keto diet and for people who are considering it or hear all the buzz about it, what do you want them to know? So keto, uh, most of the time, again, there is some research around like endurance, like ultra running, but typically, again, we have to really look at like how long that that person has been doing keto diet. And I, you know, I get a lot of arguments on this as well on my own social media, but, um, you know, It is studied in ultra runners, but there just is not enough. And typically what I find is like when people do start to do it as a runner, it does impose like how well, again, they're able to recover because whenever you are thinking about your recovery foods or your meals, it's not just protein that we're looking at. We're also looking at carbohydrate to help somebody replenish their glycogen and muscle stores. So we still do need carbohydrate to not only help us fuel up for a run or for a race, but also to help us recover because we just tapped into all of those reservoirs. So with keto, again, I just always like try to encourage like, is that sustainable for somebody? Um, do we really need to go on a low, low carb diet like that to where it's 25% um, of your daily intake from carbohydrates or even less for like some people try to go even less? than that. And so I always encourage like, is this sustainable? Is it making you feel good? Why are we doing this? Um, And is there another way that we could do it to where you feel sane and it is sustainable long-term and you're not going up and down either on this keto diet or this keto cycle? Okay. And then the last one that I want to touch on before we do get into the specific questions is macros. So many people asking about macros, trying to understand them. What should my macros be? So can you give us like a quick macros 101 when people are talking about macros? What is it that they're talking about? And is this something that runners should be keeping in mind or or following or doing or caring about? Yeah, so that's a great question. So macros refers to your macronutrients, which are protein, carbs, and fat. And so when somebody is calculating their macros, it's based off of a calorie allotment first um, of what you need for at rest for the amount of energy, and then also based off of how much you need for your activity. And it'll also get tailored based off of how much weight you want to lose per week um, and you always want to do it in a sustainable way. Um, Typically, 
again, people will try to divvy it up or split it up equally throughout the daytime. So like if you have a pre-run snack, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and other snacks as well. And so some people, they do find it sustainable and it's a good way to bring awareness of like how much maybe they're overeating or undereating um, based off of those numbers. And, you know, there's a lot of success with that. Long term, what it could do would be somebody is hyper aware or constantly counting um, on those numbers or relying on those numbers to tell them when they're hungry or full. And so sometimes somebody could be really hungry in the day, but they've already maxed out on their grams of carbohydrate or they've already maxed out on their protein. So it leaves a lot of like, am I, I'm still hungry. What do I do now? Um, and so macros doesn't really set you up in that way to deal with those nuances of runner hunger, uh, as I like to call it. Um, so I usually encourage like with my clients to really zone in on more of like intuitive eating habits and hunger and fullness. There is a little bit of like calorie counting. Well, I wouldn't say even calorie counting, but just like equations just to like gauge how much that person actually needs. And I like to use a little bit of that just so somebody can be more aware of how much they may be under eating. So that way we can actually get the person to feel like, Hey, I'm actually feeling better on my runs and my runs are more enjoyable because I'm actually eating enough now for my runs and I'm not constantly under fueling. Are there any resources that you would recommend about intuitive eating? Because I think that for many of us, myself included, intuitive eating can be tricky in terms of separating emotion from hunger. And I mean, just based off like the little bit that I've read up on when it comes to intuitive eating. And I think that it's a really great way to live your life without constantly counting and measuring. But are there any uh, either resources or people or, or places you can direct us to learn more about intuitive eating? I actually really, really like um, there's this one podcast with Dan Harris of 10, 10% Happier. At the beginning of the year, he did a whole podcast episode with Evelyn Treble, who is one of the pioneers and founders of intuitive eating. Um, and a really fun fact about her is that she ran in the first women's marathon U.S. trials. Um, so back in 1984, she was a marathoner. Um, and I find her approach really helpful. And so I always encourage like going back to that episode with her and Dan Harris talking about intuitive eating and uh, really answering and really unpacking a lot of these questions that people have around it. So if you really, really want like to understand it uh, on a deeper level, just even hear a conversation about how it works, I highly recommend that episode. It is fantastic. Perfect. All right, let's get Mm -hmm. into some of these specific questions. And again, We're working off limited information. We don't know people's whole stories. So uh, if you have follow-up questions, hit up Starla because she's amazing. And maybe you can book a session and we'll talk about how to do that at the end. So the first question, and I kind of love this because I'm curious where you'll take it. When I said, what nutrition questions do you have? Someone wrote simply, where do I start? Oh, I love that. Um, Because there's I feel like there's so many ways to start. Um, One thing I always encourage is, again, maybe not doing a fat diet or what I call a popular diet, um, because that's going to make you more confused um, on where to actually start and to really figure out what is the best way to do it. So number one, don't Google 
or a fad diet or popular diet, um, because that will definitely confuse you on what to do next. And then number two is like, I always encourage people to really like clear on what is it that they're trying to achieve first? Like, what is your wellness vision for yourself? Um, and it could be any goal. Is it to have a body composition goals? Is it to actually feel better? Is it to help your running? Is it to um, have weight loss? Like, choose one goal and and really kind of focus on that. Is it to, you know, show your kids how to eat better? Um, so things like that, being very clear on what your goal is, because I think when people don't have a goal, they get really overwhelmed and then they put it on the back burner or they're not sure of how to proceed if they feel stuck um, or they don't know like what to look for if things start to change. So again, have a goal. And then number two would be um, start to choose a habit that you feel like you could do over and over again and that you want to work toward. So starting very small and that could be I'm going to focus on more water this week. And this is the amount of water that I want to try and shoot for. And you would be amazed at how much that actually changes how a person feels, especially right now with the summer. I feel like it's a good goal to keep in mind. Um, number two would be like, where could I add in some more vegetables in my day? Um, so figuring out maybe could I add it at breakfast? How could I do that? Number And then if I could get it at lunchtime and then at dinner time, maybe at snack time or even fruits, I always encourage that too. So figuring out what is it that, where, where could you actually improve those things in your diet right now? And then number three would be like, could I actually do exercise for fun? Because I think a lot of times runners, we get caught up in these goals and we forget about the fun parts of running and we forget about the fun movements as well, or even other things. So I always encourage like, what are some ways that you could also reduce stress with other movement or doing other things to help you reduce your stress too? Because it's not always, I think running is a great one, but when you can't run or you're injured, I think a lot of people get really backtrack or they feel bad because they can't run. And so they'll try to speed it up and then they get injured again. So it's always good to start cultivating stress management, um, even if you are a healthy runner. I really love the idea of adding stuff in, like what you were saying about the vegetables. It's so much more, I think, it's more empowering than what can I take out or what should I take out? Or uh, it's just a really, it, it's a positive way of framing your goals instead of uh, a negative way. I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I really try to encourage that a lot too. It's not about removing things from your diet that's going to make you healthier. It's going to be more like, how could we add something in that's going to not only make us happy with our meals, but also happy in our lives too, because that's what real health and wellness is to me is how am I not only applying what I'm doing for my running, but how is it going to trickle into all of the other areas of my life? Like um, how is it going to cultivate wellness and deeper connection with like my sister and my family, my partner, all of those things we also want to take into account because if those things are not in alignment, we also start to feel it in our running too. All right. Next question. If you eat a healthy diet and exercise a lot, are there any supplements or vitamins that you need? That's a great one. So for women, I typically do encourage a multivitamin. And even for men, I do encourage a multivitamin right off the bat if somebody um, just wants to have like what I call a little bit more health insurance. 
So uh, multivitamins are a great way to start. There's several ones on the market that are great um, that I encourage, like ones by Smarty Pants. Um, you can find those at Target and they're pretty economical. So I think that one's a great one to always choose. Um, and then it just depends on like maybe like some some people have a higher risk for fracture um, or if they've always had reoccurring injuries. Um, so things like collagen could be a great one to add in, especially if people um, have reoccurring fractures or if they have low density from maybe it's just like having like osteopenia or osteoporosis, things like that. I always encourage those things. And then like a vitamin D with K is also a great one. And a lot of runners are still vitamin D deficient. So I always encourage um, a vitamin D supplement. And then depending on the runner, um, I'll encourage an iron supplement too, just to make sure that um, when we're increasing mileage that the iron stores stay up. And you can always, again, get a ferritin blood test done to see what that number is. But typically I do encourage like a ferrous sulfate and that'll also be in your multivitamin. But if somebody is like, anemic or having a lot of iron problems, I'll definitely encourage an iron supplement. All right. We get this question all the time. Anytime I say I'm having an expert on the show, people are dying to be told exactly what to eat before, during, and after a run. And I know that the answer is test it out and see what feels good for you. And everyone is different. But we got so many people saying, what should I really eat the night before a long run, the morning before a long runner race, and after. So what are just some blanket tips that you can give for people to keep in mind? And do you personally have favorite meals, snacks, or general items that you like to eat during those times? Oh my goodness. I love this question because I feel like I've tried so many products and so many food items. (laughs) Um, I don't know if you remember, like in my last show, in the last show, I talked about like how I have like a stomach of steel. Um, Yes. (laughs) My dream. Yeah. I've like have so have so many examples of this, but um, typically before a run, um, if you're going to be running within like an hour, less than 30 minutes, you want to make sure to have like maybe 15 or 30 grams of carbohydrate. And that could be like maybe a slice of toast, half a bagel, uh, a cup of dry cereal, I like the Nature's Path Fig Bar. That's my favorite snack or even just um, Fig Newtons. I love them, Um, especially in the morning if I'm having coffee and then I'm going out for a run. I think it's like the perfect coffee snack cookie before I go out and do my exercise. So I typically do things like that. Other things that I have encouraged in the past too, um, like a gluten-free toast is a great way to start. Um, A mini bagel is another great option too. Um, So it's typically, again, carbohydrate that we're looking at. Um, Some people will also do um, half a cup of Gatorade, depending on like maybe they don't feel ready for actual solid food. That's fine. I would typically recommend something like that or another sports drink with carbohydrate in it. Um, You could also do a little bit of juice beforehand as well. Another great option is a fruit. So like a banana. Um, Some people are pretty good with applesauce as well or those little squeeze packs. Those are great. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, the fruit squeezy ones. Oh, yeah. I don't know what the brand name is, but I've seen those a lot around. Um, And then I would say, again, like if maybe somebody is going to run like 
an hour or two um, from the time that they're getting hungry or they want to eat something, they could always pair it with a protein. So protein is going to help you feel more satiated and full. And then it's just going to help you balance out your blood sugar as well. Because if we think about the time from when you're hungry and you're eating to when you do your run, you complete your run and go and eat something, um, that could be two to three, maybe four hours until your next meal. So the protein is going to help you stay satiated. So that way, when you're running, your blood sugar is not going up and down. And then again, afterwards, you're going to feel like not starving either. So, and then you're going to be able to eat a meal um, accordingly. So I typically do encourage having a protein and that would be like a toast with peanut butter, half a bagel with peanut butter. Um, you could always do a rice cake with nut butter. I typically like doing rice cakes with peanut butter. They're just pretty easy for me. And I feel like they're pretty, um, their shelf life is pretty good too, especially at this time. Um, another option I would encourage could also be like crackers with tuna, crackers with um, a little bit of turkey and cheese, um, popcorn and some nuts, just something like that to hold you over. And so that way, again, you have something energizing and then you're able to do your run and it's not going to cause too many GI problems. Um, so I think things like that could always work out. In terms of after a run, um, I always encourage, again, having a carb um, protein mix, so about four to one ratio. We don't always get there. Um, and normally I do shoot for that after a long run. But if I were going to do something after a long run and I was starting to feel hungry or not so hungry, um, or like if somebody did a workout and you're wanting to recover right away and replenish right away, um, you could always do a chocolate milk. A Greek yogurt is a great one with some fruit or some granola. Um, Another option would be like a protein smoothie or like just smoothie. A juice would also be another great option because you're replenishing. Um, you could always do a sports drink as well right afterwards. Again, you're going to get some fluid in. Um, and then if somebody is feeling hungry for something, you could always do like an egg with yogurt and fruit. Um, I like this morning after my workout, I had um, a bagel with cream cheese and jam and then two eggs. Um, so I typically eat quite a bit in the mornings. Um, so I think that would be something appropriate for somebody else. Um, some people also don't really have a big appetite still for a meal. So I would encourage maybe like some oatmeal with some eggs on the side or oatmeal with some nuts and a banana. Um, you could also do like a special K protein cereal with an egg on the side to get a little bit more protein and sustenance. Um, so it just really varies per person. Before a long run, I typically do encourage definitely having carbohydrate. That could be sweet potato, corn tortillas, flour tortillas, depending on the person, um, pasta, rice. So you, de you definitely do want to get some carbon and then you want to get some protein in as well, definitely. If that person has a lot of GI problems, I would have to, you know, see how much vegetables or if any vegetables at before the long run just to see what's going on because I'm not only looking at the long run with the client um, to see like how they're doing in the long run and making sure that they're energized. I'm also looking to see like what's going to work for them on race day. So it's always a good way to plan out their race day for them. And then we have solid meals that we know already that are going to work well for them on that race day or the day that they're trying to perform really well. Um, I never want to get a client into a race where they still don't trust or know what they're going to eat. Um, and that could be like, again, 
um, from not actually practicing what what to do before a long run. So long runs are really important to help you prepare for race day. Um, so just figuring that out with that person. And then before a long run, again, I do encourage, again, if somebody has never, ever fueled before a long run, I would definitely do some of those examples that I talked about with um, 30 minutes to an hour before a run, because that's going to be really simple and easy. And typically, most people can handle any one of those options before a long run. Um, and then during, you definitely want to be fueling. And then afterwards, again, the same recovery. If somebody's not feeling hungry right away, doing something like a Greek yogurt, a protein smoothie, um, a cup of juice, or something like that, or a sports drink is always going to be better than nothing because that's also going to set you up to rehydrate, refuel, recover, and then you can actually feel good when you get to your appropriate meal time or you're having a more appropriate meal. So I always, always encourage that because that's also just going to help that person have much better gauge on cravings, um, sugar addiction. I think that was one of the questions that somebody had. So I always encourage, you know, how you're fueling around your typical daily runs have a huge impact on um, what your food looks like later on in the day. Break time. Let's chat for a minute about our sponsor, Aftershocks. My favorite thing is when other people write these little ad breaks for me because you know by now, you know that I love Aftershocks wireless headphones. You know I used to wear the Air and now I wear the Aeropex. You know they're light, comfortable, perfect for people such as myself who hate earbuds. You know they're the only headphones you should wear running because they're the only ones that rest outside your ears instead of inside them, which is crucial because safety matters, people. So today, you don't need to hear all of that from me. Today, let's eavesdrop on a conversation in the Alley on the Run Show Best Running Friends Facebook group, a conversation between Kimberly and Ginny. This is real. I'm not making these names up. It started with Kimberly, who posted the following. Just thought I'd give a shout out to the best headphones, Aftershocks. I forgot to turn them off two days ago, and they were still charged today on my run. Unbelievable! Exclamation point. Thanks, Allie, for the recommendation. You're welcome. Then Ginny responded, So good, she said. I use them my entire workday, and they still have a charge for my run after work. So listen, if you aren't going to take it from me, which rude... Take it from Kimberly and take it from Ginny. Get yourself or your running buddy a pair of Aftershocks wireless headphones and do it at a discount. Go to ontherun.aftershocks.com for 15% off any wireless headset. That's ontherun.aftershocks.com for 15% off all headphones. All right, should we get back? Should we go hear more from Starla Garcia? She has so much good advice. Let's do it. So we talk so much about figuring out what works best for you based on all the amazing suggestions you just gave. How how much should people try stuff? Like if I'm about to go for a long run and I'm like, okay, I'm going to try fueling with a piece of toast with peanut butter and banana. And I it goes horribly for me on the run. And I'm like mm-hmm. making bathroom stops, which uh, I mean, that's just my life. But would you recommend trying something more than once? Might your body adapt to it? Like if I'm set on saying like, well, I want to do this for my breakfast because it's easy to take with me to races when those are happening mm-hmm. again. Uh, or is it like, okay, that didn't work out. Scrap it. Let's try something new. Right. That's a great question. So 
with dietitians, we like to call it gut training. So we always want to help that person gut train for these races or for um, performances or long runs. Um, Typically, what I would encourage in that scenario would be like, okay, maybe it was too much for you. Um, It maybe was too much carbohydrate for you in your run. So why don't we backtrack and, you know, take it back to step one. Let's just start with a piece of toast. And then we'll see how that goes or even a half a piece of toast because I do get people that have just a lot of gut problems. So we'll take it back to, you know, let's try half a piece of toast. Let's see how that feels or maybe even dry cereal just to get the person accustomed and make it a habit of actually having something in their stomach before a run. So I'll peel it back a lot of layers first, and then we'll build up to, okay, well, now let's do a whole piece of toast. Okay, now that worked. Now let's go and let's do a like a tablespoon of nut butter. How did that feel? How did you feel after your run? Um, and then typically for longer runs, okay, now let's do a piece of toast with nut butter and then half a banana um, or just a few banana slices, and then we'll add in the whole banana eventually. Um, so it would just, again, gut training is a little bit more strategic. And depending on the person, it's definitely baby steps into what that person is probably imagining. I love that advice. Do you work with athletes who have eating disorders? And if so, how do you approach it? Oh, that's a good one because I get a lot of inquiries um, around disordered eating and eating disorder. And that's just because I think um, based off of like how much I share about my own personal journey with an eating disorder, um, I have so much respect for eating disorder dietitians. I don't take on eating disorder clients um, just because I'm not specialized in that area. So it's not my area of expertise, even though I have personally gone through one. once in a while, I'll take on a very, very special case um, just because I know I'm working with a therapist and it could, again, I trust the therapist a lot. So I'll take on very, very specialized cases, but typically I do not. Yeah. Um, so I hold ED dietitians way up high um, for me personally. So I don't do that. Um, but I will say with disordered eating, um, the difference between the two would be like if you know you have unhealthy an, an, an unhealthy relationship with food and exercise, that could be disordered eating. Um, and intuitive eating, even like cyclic dieting, is a lot of disordered eating as well. So if you're constantly been on up and down diets, that is considered um, disordered eating. So I typically do work with a lot of clients that have disordered eating or that had been in recovery and in a restored body um, for a long time already. And so I usually, the way that I work is I have everybody um, schedule a call with me. So that way I see what the person is like and like how long they've been in recovery, what are some of the problems that they're having, their struggles, things like that. And then a lot of people are very healthy um, and then when I'm talking about disordered eating, like they're just wanting to improve their performance, um, but they're still having struggles around like, I'm struggling with how much to eat at these times, I'm unsure, or I'm finding that I'm not eating enough at lunchtime and I tend to overeat at dinner, how do I stop this? So um, again, I work with a lot of runners that are looking for more of the performance benefits as well, and they don't have very much eating issues. They just really need help with figuring out 
um, how much to eat and how to go about it in their daily lives and how to, again, create something that's sustainable for themselves. All right. This next question I think is kind of fun. Thoughts on whole milk. I love it, but I feel like it's always being demonized. What are your thoughts on whole milk? I agree. I think that whole milk and whole milk products have been so demonized. Again, it's the low fat culture that came came up when we were younger or again, like in the past. So I really like whole milk yogurt or higher fat yogurt. I personally do not like 0% yogurt. I think it's too dry, too tart. It's not palatable enough for me. And I think like when we have some of these higher fat items, like okay, like it could have like some effect on cardiovascular issues, but there's a lot of other things that could also cause these cardiovascular issues. And I think if like that person really enjoys whole milk because it's more palatable for them and they find it creamier, tastier, then why not have that if it's going to bring so much pleasure to your life um, and it's going to make actual milk drinking so much more I guess, great for you. And again, it's, this is just like percent of fat. It's not talking about percent of carbs or I mean, grams of carb or grams of protein. Those two things actually stay the same. If you're comparing whole milk versus 0% skim milk, it's just talking about grams of fat. So just want to put that out there. What is the best thing you can do for your nutrition while marathon training? The best thing that somebody can do for their nutrition is I would definitely recommend eating enough um, and also being gentle on your hunger and fullness um, because that's going to change throughout your training cycle. Um, I think there's a lot of runners that do stress themselves out because they're more hungrier than like when they first started. And it's because of the added training. Uh, It could be a volume or even the intensity or even the two. So I always, always encourage like, Hey, it's okay. Like your body is just trying to keep up with the amount of training you're like you're doing and it wants to help you. It wants to work for you so badly, but you need to feed it. I love that. Again, adding and adding things instead of taking them away. Um, Okay. This person wrote, I get super hungry in the afternoons when I'm training. We also had a similar question, which is someone saying they're waking up at like 3 a.m. starving during training. What can these people do? I mean, I think it's easy for us to look at that and say, well, you're not eating enough during the day. What advice do you have for people who are either getting ravenous in the afternoons or in the middle of the night? Okay, so if they're ravenous in the afternoons, it could be that they find themselves snacking a lot and they're trying to maybe control it or else snack less. So what I would encourage would be if we're looking at your breakfast and lunch, we want to make sure that we are getting enough carbohydrate and protein at breakfast time. Um, It could be either one of the two or both um, because protein is going to help you feel satiated and satisfied. And then carbs are going to help you have energy. Even though we're not doing physical strenuous activity, your brain needs energy. So if you're working, sitting at a computer, your body is still needing carbohydrate. It's just your, your, your brain's way of powering through the day. Um, And then the same thing at lunchtime, I always encourage, again, protein, carbohydrate, and then some vegetables and fruit. Um, So something like that could be really helpful. I think a lot of people, they also tend to work through lunch, and then that causes them to not have a substantial lunch for themselves. 
So I always um, look through that and see what is the lunch like? Does somebody have protein, carb, and then some of those fruits or vegetables in there or both? Because that's going to set you up also for your for your snacking time or how much you feel like you need to control your snacking. Or also it's going to affect um, your run in the, the evening if you're doubling up or you are a PM runner. In terms of the other question was waking up at 3 a.m., right, to snack? Yeah. Okay. So that's a good one. Um, I actually had a client that did that because she was just waking up so hungry and she would get hunger pains. So again, it would be looking at your dinner and probably eating a little bit more carbohydrate or allowing yourself to maybe have a snack before bedtime could be helpful. And then Again, it's just seeing how much you're running because sometimes that could be the issue is like you're eating and you may be eating enough, but because your mileage is coming up, um, that could be causing you to feel really hungry still. All right. Let's talk about the sugar addiction. Let's talk about it. I feel like I read a story recently that was like sugar addiction is not real, but we still <laughs> see the phrase everywhere. So we got a couple of people asking, how do I conquer my sugar addiction What's your take? What do you say? What can we walk away with? I, I actually really love this question because there's so much to unpack here. Um, so please stop me if I like get too overboard with this. But with sugar addiction, what is happening again is like you may not be eating enough the first half of your day. Like there is not enough carbohydrate at breakfast and lunch. And so that may be making you feel like you have a sugar addiction later on in the day. And it's because your body needs carbohydrates. It needs energy to function, not just for your physical activity, but again, to just think and thrive. Um, so I always want to encourage that you emotionally and mentally also rely on carbohydrate because it is, again, it's, it's a way for people to also soothe. I know a lot of people like when they're stressed, they'll go for like desserts or chocolate and things like that. And so it's not really the sugar per se that you're addicted to. It's just that we have this way of using sugar, of coping with something that is happening internally. And again, it's nothing to be shameful about. Um, if we really wanted to unpack my own story, it would be like, maybe I wasn't a sugar addict, but I would reframe from eating or restrict because I was trying to deal with um, other stressors in my life that I couldn't acknowledge at that time. So again, there's nothing shameful about it. But I do encourage like really, really doing the work around like, what is it that's happening? What is it that you're stressed about too? And it could not even be trauma. It could just be like, you know, maybe you haven't given yourself enough self-care during the day. You haven't set aside a time to really check in on yourself. And so sometimes that could just like, you just may need somebody to actually give you permission to do that because I think we're so ingrained as well. Um, right now to go, go, go and do, do, do. And again, I think that's why a lot of people are having a lot of problems right now around their food and exercise relationship during COVID because now we're actually getting the time back to sit and to peel back those layers, but they're just so scary to peel back because we've actually never done the work or we haven't been allowed to do the work. Um, and so it's, it's, I feel like during this time, it's really exacerbated a lot of these um, things that we could control or 
also just kind of bandied over by staying busy. But now that we can't go out and be busy and we're at home, um, it's really frightening and stressful for a lot of people. So I always um, try to really unpack a lot of what is our our thoughts around some of these foods. Why are we afraid of it? Um, where did we hear that sugar was bad? When did we first start hearing about it? Um, how are we trying to cope with sugar? Or what is it that we're trying to cope um, with sugar so at this time? So again, there's a lot of other things underneath the sugar addiction that I think people may not realize. Um, and then again, um, just eating like at normal meal times is another way to solve a sugar addiction too. So allowing yourself breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yeah. Such a good answer. And like you said, we I feel like we could do like a six-hour episode just talking about that and breaking it down and mm-hmm. uh, kind of like a therapy session, but we'll skip that for now coming from the girl who just <laughs> ate uh, a <laughs> lot of peanut M&Ms before we recorded this. Um, <laughs> what is the biggest, most popular misconception about nutrition? I think the most popular misconception is that we are going to change our bodies within a month or in a couple weeks or 14 days or in a week. And the truth is that that does not happen. Um, Sustainable changes happen over months of time, um, even like six months, a year, years of time, Uh, you know, and again, nothing to be ashamed of if like it's taking you a long time or it will take you a long time to achieve the changes that you're looking for but at least when you come out of it and you actually do the work and you're you're gentle on yourself and you're looking for progress over perfection you're going to be so much happier because you're going to know yourself so much more um when i look at my own journey it took me years you know to be in this place and i feel like the healthiest and happiest i've ever been despite being in quarantine Oh, I love that. Okay, this is a good question. If I am working out consistently and eating well, can I be both healthy and overweight? Um, that's a that's a good question. Um, I do think that there is a lot of fat phobia in the world, unfortunately, and I do think that somebody can live in a larger body and still be healthy. And I think that we need to be more inclusive, like body-wise, body diversity in the running community, because um, I don't think larger bodies are addicts as accepted or even as like welcomed. You know, if we look at like running communities, like if you think about like larger bodied runners and ma- like maybe we don't even talk to them as much in our running groups because, again, maybe it could be like you're not in our pace group or things like that. Or again, maybe we feel like there's different interests, but I think as runners, we do need to accept more, again, different bodies and different sizes and, you know, the way that we're shaped um, a lot better. I do think that somebody can be quote unquote overweight or in a certain BMI and still be very healthy. Can you talk about BMI a little bit? I, I know that there's lots of different schools of thought on whether it is a helpful tool or not. Can you explain BMI and talk about your stance on whether those numbers are numbers we should look to that might be helpful? Um, so BMI stands for body mass index. And what that is, is how much weight you're carrying per centimeter of height or per inch of height. So 
Personally, I don't really ask for BMIs or I don't calculate BMIs in my practice. And I never, ever set a weight goal for somebody. Um, If somebody comes to me with weight loss goals, I usually ask, again, a little bit more and deeper. Again, I don't want to ever like tell people that they shouldn't be allowed to lose weight because that's not my place as a dietitian. Um, Everybody has their own health goals and I try to respect them as much as possible. What I do think is if somebody is trying to lose weight and they're putting themselves at risk for injury or a lot of decline in performance or just like over overall health or it's causing them a lot of distress, I do um, really try to keep, extend my ground and again, encourage more of things like what is your perceived effort here? If, you know, maybe we're not seeing changes on the scale or like you're not seeing changes on the scale the way that you want to see them or as quickly. But what is your perceived effort on these days? How are you feeling? How is your energy? How is your digestion? Again, I try not to really look at Garmin too much either for most people, but because every day is going to be different and we're not always going to be like one second faster than the next day because that's impossible. But again, really looking at perceived effort, power on the bike, um, how are your swims? Like, how are those feeling and things like that? How is your overall health feeling like? So I always encourage like more of those measurements of health versus like the actual number on the scale and then also BMI for somebody. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, I was going to say that's super helpful. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know I'm like throwing a lot of side questions at you and I appreciate you taking all of these on. You're amazing. Thank you. Let's do a couple more here. What are your favorite filling and portable savory breakfasts? This one's specific. Filling, portable, and savory breakfasts. Ooh, that is a really great one. You know, I am somebody that includes all kinds of foods. I'm not just somebody that's like, I only do all natural. You need to be at home and cooking and everything needs to be home cooked. Um, For this, I would suggest probably like a breakfast taco or like a breakfast burrito. You can either make it yourself and freeze it, or you can also just, again, get some at at your grocery store in the freezer section. Right now, I've been recommending a lot of those for clients because um, for a while, everybody was out of eggs. And so people usually like eggs. So I was encouraging like things in the frozen aisle with eggs. Um, a breakfast sandwich, that's another really great one. Um, you can also do like a, an egg sandwich in a pita bread so that way it doesn't fall out um, on the other end. <laughs> um, other ones would also be... I personally really like picky bars, oats, the performance oats. That's one of my favorite portable breakfasts. And then I'll have like an egg on the side or I'll make it a scrambled egg and put it in the cup and then go. Um, I've also done that with the Kodiak cakes. Um, I think the flapjack ones, those cup, those cup ones. And I'll also do an egg on top as well or some yogurt as well on that. So just some easy portable options for people that are looking. Love those. Are anti-inflammatory foods a real thing? I, yes. So I typically do. (laughs) So there are going to be more anti-inflammatory foods and this is all like based off of color. So that's why we do encourage a lot of color because they're going to have different kinds of antioxidants that are going to help reduce inflammation in the body. Um, Also, omega-3s are an anti-inflammatory as well. But typically, I do encourage like a lot of color. So again, that would be going back to having vegetables, having fruits and things like that. Um, Other anti-inflammatories that 
people can look to right now would be like curcumin or turmeric. That's a great one. Um, beets are another great option. Cherries, those are typically ones that I encourage. Green tea is an anti-inflammatory. So incorporating some of those, or if you don't like green tea, there's other options too. Awesome. Okay. Let's just do a couple more here. How do I combat overeating after long runs when I feel absolutely ravenous? Okay. That's a good one. Uh, So it kind of goes back to one of our earlier questions as well, or one of the things I pointed out would be making sure that, again, you're fueling before your run, um, during your run. And then if you don't have a big appetite, choosing something that's going to be easily digestible. So that could be a Greek yogurt, a boiled egg, um, a protein smoothie, or like a ready to drink protein smoothie is another option. Um, So things like that are going to be helpful. So that way you start to replenish and recover very quickly. Awesome. Okay. The last two questions I'm going to throw at you are a little bit more on the personal side. (laughs) What advice do you have for aspiring registered dietitians as a second career? Oh, I love that. Okay. So I kind of feel like uh, being a dietitian was also my second career school. Um, even though it may seem like I went into it right away, I didn't want to, I actually wanted to be a researcher first and then I was working for somebody and then I decided, you know, this is my calling. I need to follow it. Um, but I always encourage, you know, I don't think there's ever like too long of a time or a wrong time to go back to school. Um, I think when I did it, when I went back for my internship, I had been out of school like four years by that time. So, and it was a little intimidating because I didn't know if I would be a good intern. Um, and I didn't know if I still remembered everything from school, but I always encourage, like, if that's something that you have an interest in and you really want to uh, earn the license, then why not? Um, and I know several women that have actually gone back to school. They were in business and then they felt like, Hey, I think I have this interest and in I feel like I could make than most of the rest of my life doing this. So I I do think it's possible. It's so interesting to me too, because I think of all the different registered dietitians that I know, so many Mm -hmm. of whom are runners. And Mm -hmm. I think almost all of them are doing it as their second career. So I actually, I think that's awesome. And I love that more people are interested in the field because I love all my RD friends. Oh, yeah. It's a very um, specific kind of person, I will say. And I think like most dietitians that I've met, like I've shared very, a lot of similarities with them. Yeah. I love it. All right. Last question. How should I look for a registered dietitian? Um, So I usually encourage you can go to the eatright.org website. Social media is packed with great dietitians. Um, You can also head over to my website. Um, But I do encourage like looking for somebody that is going to fit you the best. And I think sometimes we can get caught up in like Googling um, dietitians in your area. Um, But I always encourage, you know, expanding on that and really seeing like who is a good fit for you and who understands your needs the best. Yeah. And how do you know if that person, like, do you generally do an introductory call where you're kind of feeling each other out like you might do with a therapist? What? Do, how do you do that? 
Yes, so I always do an introductory call before I work with anybody um, just because I want to know if they're a good fit with me. And then even, you know, just to, I think, bring some ease for them because they're finally asking for help. Um, and that's a huge step. And so I always try to acknowledge that all the time. And it can be really scary because you don't really know this person. Um, and I think for a lot of people, you know, I think just paying for a service could feel intimidating too. So I always, always encourage asking for a call. I do Zoom calls with all of my prospective clients. Um, and it just like creates a much better relationship um, between us because they see me, they see what I'm like in real person. We chat about them. And I just always want to make sure that I'm giving the best experience and the best value to them um, right away. Um, and I feel like most of my clients, I feel like they're like, I could be friends with most of them. All right. Remind everyone where they can find you. They can find me at Starla underscore shines. Um, and then also my website, um, www.thehealthyshine.com um, or even my Facebook group, Nutrition for Runners with Starla. You are getting a lot of love in the Alley on the Run show Facebook group recently. People are loving your quarantine content you've been putting out. I mean, you always put out so much good advice in a very um, easy to digest way. But especially lately, it's been super, super helpful. So I highly encourage everyone to follow you. Can I ask you one more question? It's not about nutrition. Oh, yeah, definitely. How were the Olympic trials? Oh, my God. I cried. Um <laughs> It was so awesome. Um, I feel like it was just so empowering. Um, I And it was just so loud, you know, being a runner and having like this blast of excitement hit your face as soon as you crossed the starting line. It was unbelievable. Well, it was awesome to cheer for you. You're just the smiliest, most wonderful runner. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, congratulations on being there and making those dreams come true. And here's to uh, what's the next 2024. Yeah, that we'll see you back there. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate Yay. it. <laughs> Carla, thank you so much for doing this. I love any opportunity to get to talk with you. You are such an amazing vault of information. And I really appreciate you sharing it with all of us today. So thank you for all that you do. And uh, hopefully we'll get to be hugging in real life again someday soon. I know. I, I actually really, really miss hugs. And, you know, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for being here for this episode of the Alley on the Run show. And thank you, Starla, for being so wise and so generous and for sharing your expertise with us today. I love doing episodes like this. And Starla, I love you so much. I'll just say it. I love you. All right. Let's wrap this up. Some final announcements here. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Alley on the Run One and on Facebook at the Alley on the Run page and in the Alley on the Run show Best Running Friends group. We have a lot of fun in there. Everyone is super nice. That's the only rule. You have to agree to be nice when you request to join. You can also check out my Patreon page if that's something that you're into. This is a new community. It's at patreon.com slash on the run. We're building it up. We've got bonus episodes every month. It's really fun. And I'd love for you to check it out and come be a part of it. Finally, 
If you're loving the show and want to let the world know, the best way to do that is by sharing the show, share it with a friend, send an episode to your running group, post a screenshot on Instagram. Make sure you tag me so I see it and I can send you some hearts in return. And make sure that you are subscribed to the show. That way you don't miss a thing. If you're up for it, leave a rating and review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Those mean so much to me. I read every single one. They make my heart very happy. And I'm super grateful for the more than 900 of you who have already left reviews. That's so awesome. Very last thing, big thanks to our sponsor, Aftershocks, for always being there for us. Go to ontherun.aftershocks.com for 15% off the wireless headphone of your choice. Now remember... You've got this. You are doing great. And thanks for joining me on the run.